In today's brief, we'll talk about an assassination attempt and brand new textbooks for occupied territories. I'm Yulia, and today is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about mm, 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported that on August 7th, my birthday, Ukrainian forces destroyed 10 Russian tanks, a Russian helicopter, 19 Russian artillery systems, and 560 Russian soldiers. Ah, happy birthday! Russia is putting up a strong defense with all manner of artillery in and around Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast, but Ukrainian forces retain the initiative. Moving on to the home front. An alleged informant for Russia has been detained in connection to a plot to assassinate Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, according to Security Service of Ukraine, SBU. The unnamed woman had reportedly been gathering intelligence about Zelensky's planned visit to Mykolaiv at the end of July in order to plan a Russian airstrike to kill the president. The, quote, subversive activities of the suspect, end quote, were discovered and the SBU adopted additional security measures, foiling the plot and catching the woman red-handed, as it were, as she was, quote, trying to pass intelligence to the invaders, end quote. While monitoring the alleged collaborator's communications, the SBU established that she has also been tasked with identifying the location of electronic warfare systems and ammunition depots of the AFU. The Ukrainian State Bureau of Investigations, SBU, reported that it is investigating more than 100 cases of, quote, abuse of authority by military enlistment officers. Fifteen charges have already been filed in court, and it has opened 112 proceedings against territorial recruitment officials since February 2022. Russian forces struck Kharkiv Oblast with four guided aerial bombs on August 7th, killing two and injuring five, including two rescuers. One person was killed and at least 13 injured as a result of Russian strikes on Kherson Oblast on August 7th. Attack on Zaporizhia Oblast also killed one and wounded another. The Ukrainian Ministry of Internal Affairs released updated information on the victims of the Russian attack on Pokrovsk in Donetsk Oblast. As of the time of recording, the casualties from the missile attack included 7 dead and 88 wounded. Among the wounded are 29 police, 7 rescue workers and 2 children ages 17 and 11 years old. And rescue workers are still clearing the rubble noting that rescue work has to be suspended at night due to the high threat of repeated attacks. Oleksandr Horonjry, spokesman for Ukraine's state emergency service, said on August 8 that since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, 78 Ukrainian first responders have been killed by Russian attacks while doing their job, and 280 emergency workers have been injured. The Russian Ministry of Defense, MOD, claimed the attack in Pokrovsk had struck a command center for the AFU. Serhii Cheravate, deputy commander of Operational Command East, responded with a statement that said, quote, Of course this claim by Russia's deceitful propaganda has no basis in reality. This is the third or fourth time they've claimed to destroy this command center. Russian terrorists continue waging a war on civilians. End quote. 
Uman, a city in Cherkasy region, is the burial site of Nachman of Breslov, the founder of the Breslov Hasidic sect. The great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidic Judaism, Nachman, was a charismatic Jewish mystic who believed Rosh Hashanah to be spiritually auspicious time. Many visitors to Uman today believe reciting a particular section of the Book of Psalms at his graveside has particular power. Every Rosh Hashanah, Hasidic Jews visit Uman in huge numbers. At practice, local authorities are asking them to stop while the war is ongoing. However, they're not listening. I believe last year's visit was described as a flood. Speaking of inconvenient, let's talk about the Russian Federation and effectively occupied Belarus. Russia's Ministry of Education has presented a new history textbook for use in schools in occupied territories, which blames Kyiv and the West for its own war of aggression in Ukraine, and calls Russia a, quote, country of heroes. Needless to say, the book is filled with all sorts of lies and disinformation, with the intention of indoctrinating children in occupied Ukraine. Russian president dictator Vladimir Putin signed into law a measure allowing Razgvardia, a force of roughly 200,000 and effectively the Russian National Guard, to be equipped with heavy weaponry like attack helicopters and artillery, most of which is expected to come from the stocks relinquished by private military company PMC Wagner to Russia after their brief weekend coup. UK defense intelligence suggested that Putin's decision to make heavy weapons available to Rosgvardia could indicate that he views them as a critical pillar of regime's security. Oddly enough, there is no evidence that Rosgvardia took any effective action during Wagner's mini-mutiny, though it is reportedly exactly the kind of security threat to which the organization was created to respond. Kirill Budanov reported recently that the coup was in fact a collaboration between Putin and Wagner leadership to identify Russian commanders who are less than completely loyal to Putin. Some assessment here. If that's true, it was an absurd move on Putin's part, given the damage it's done to his reputation. The cost of moving Russian wheat continues to rise, made worse by Russia's lack of ships and Western grain traders growing reluctance to do business with Moscow. After the expiration of the Black Sea Grain Initiative in July, Moscow has imposed a de facto blockade and targeted grain storage facilities in an escalation of the war in the Black Sea. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. Next up, European news. Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmuhal stated earlier this year that Ukraine plans to be fully ready to join the European Union within two years. Radio Free Europe reported that the European Commission would recommend by October that Ukraine and Moldova begin EU accession talks. However, the concessions of all 27 EU member states would be required in December. Now let's talk about the news worldwide. Andriy Yermak, the head of the Office of the President of Ukraine, said on August 7th that President Zelensky's peace plan was the only proposal discussed at the summit in Saudi Arabia over the weekend, and the participants agreed to hold another meeting within about six weeks. 
Officials from around 40 nations, including China and the United States, took part in the summit. And according to Yermak, all delegates fully supported Ukrainian independence and territorial integrity. A Wall Street Journal report suggested that Ukraine was not requiring Russia's withdrawal as part of the proposal discussed at the summit. But the office of the president of Ukraine strongly refuted the claim and asserted that the complete withdrawal of Russian troops from the territory of Ukraine is an essential part of the peace plan. And none of the participating nations opposed or argued the point, including Brazil and China, who have in the past been lukewarm in their support of Ukraine's return to its internationally recognized 1991 borders. According to the National Resistance Center, PMC Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has been using field camps in Belarus to retrain his mercenaries before sending them to West Africa. A new Wagner camp is reportedly being constructed in Belarus near the border with Ukraine. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken reiterated the United States' quote, staunch and ongoing support of Ukraine's defense against Russia's aggression and reaffirmed continued support of a strong Ukrainian military and accountable defense institutions, end quote, during talks with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuleba. Kuleba wrote that during their conversation he had emphasized Ukraine's need for long-range missiles, but the U.S. State Department has made no mention of that. Ukraine has weapons of its own production that it can use, and appears to have been using already, to strike targets within Russia, and has made clear that it is requesting long-range weapons from international partners in order to liberate the occupied territories of Ukraine, not to strike at Russian territory. Finally, let's talk military tech. A batch of Leopard 1 tanks has been purchased by German concern Rheinmetall and will be delivered in the near future. The so-called spy gun, Ukraine's latest domestically produced UAV, that's a drone, made for intelligence gathering, is now being field tested by military recon units, according to the main intelligence directorate of the MOD of Ukraine. The spy gun is designed to deep intelligence but can also be used for fire correction if necessary. Russian sources report that Vagjanova Military Equipment Depot, Russia's largest known military equipment storage facility located outside of the Republic of Buryatia's capital, Ulan-Ude, in eastern Siberia, has been stripped of nearly half of the Soviet-era tanks and armored vehicles that were stored there prior to the large-scale invasion. One of the nearly two dozen such sites identified by the Moscow Times, the Vagjanova Equipment Depot covers an area of over 10 square kilometers. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please, consider supporting our work on Substack. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, do zustrichi!